With frequent wildfires contributing to airborne pollution, the harmful effects of inflammation and free radical exposure are of particular concern. But you can buttress your natural defenses with nutritional support from my friends at NT Factor. Free radicals are highly unstable molecules that can trigger cell damage, leaving your cells less equipped to utilize oxygen. NT Factor's Breakthrough Lipids formula restores energy and undoes the damage to cells caused by free radicals. Breathe Clear with NT Factor combines the benefits of NT Factor with quercetin, a powerful bioflavonoid. In addition to its antioxidant properties, quercetin is an anti-inflammatory. It works to open up the nasal and respiratory passages. For a limited time, buy one container of NT Factor Lipids Powder and get a bottle of Breathe Clear with NT Factor free. Just go to ntfactor.com, that's ntfactor.com, or call 800-982-9158, 800-982-9158. This summer, arm yourself with the protective power of NT Factor Lipids Powder and get Breathe Clear with NT Factor absolutely free and breathe freely while supporting your body's fight against free radicals. Welcome to Intelligent Medicine. I'm Layla Mutin, your host. The email to email me topics of interest, questions. It's questions at drhoffman.net. That is questions at drhoffman.net. Last week I talked about anti-nutrients. And in this wonderful article from Dr. Deanna Minich, it might be Minich, her last name pronunciation. So I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it. Let me call her Deanna. Um, I talked last week because it has become very popular to avoid lectins. Lectins are most commonly found in foods like beans, all kinds of beans and lentils and tomatoes and potatoes. Interesting the last two are nightshades, also in cassava. So today, because last week I talked about lectins, today I want to talk about oxalates. She goes on to explain about oxalates and phytates or phytic acid. These are the other anti-nutrients. So let's dive right in. Oxalate, which is oxalic acid, is an organic acid that can bind to minerals like calcium, iron, and magnesium to create oxalate salts. For example, calcium oxalate. Like lectins, oxalate is made in both plants and mammals. Now in plants, it's part of the defense system and it also plays a role in calcium regulation. In mammals, it's a metabolic byproduct of glycine. Glycoxalate, hydroxyproline, and ascorbate, which is vitamin C. Consequently, collagen powder, gelatin, and even vitamin C are potential contributors to urinary 
oxalates. Now, unbound oxalates can bind to minerals in the intestine, reducing their absorption. Dietary oxalates, once absorbed, can contribute to the formation of kidney stones, most of which are made of calcium oxalate. Most, over 60% of kidney stones are calcium oxalate, less so of the uric acid stones. Now, plant foods with high oxalate levels include spinach, Swiss chard, rhubarb, sorrel, taro, sweet potatoes, and beets. Oxalates tend to be most concentrated in leaves. Other foods with smaller amounts include raw legumes, whole grains, nuts, tea, and cocoa. In the average diet, spinach, both cooked and raw, tends to be the most common oxalate contributor, about 40%. And I know of patients who are prone to kidney stones, they stay far away from spinach. A low oxalate diet is helpful in reducing the prevalence of kidney stones in those who have kidney stones, because how come some people eat spinach and it's not a problem? I'm going to get to that in a moment. It may have to do more with the gut microbiome. The, the beneficial bacteria called oxalobacter formagenes helps in the metabolism of these oxalates, diminishing the incidence of kidney stones. That's why some people can have lots of tea and lots of spinach and all these other foods that contain oxalate, and it's not a problem for them. It has more to do with the microbiome than anything. And again, just like the lectins that I talked about last week, a lot has to do with the health of our own microbiome in terms of how our bodies react to these lectins. And now we're talking about oxalates. A low oxalate diet is also helpful in women with vulvodynia. Vulvodynia, which apparently is a painful condition that some women suffer from. I have patients who absolutely swear by a low oxalate diet. They have a complete remission of their symptoms. It's This is where food is indeed medicine. Anyway, so similar to lectins, the oxalate content of plant foods can be modified by cooking methods. Wet methods like boiling and steaming are efficient in decreasing soluble oxalates, although there can be quite a range of decrease depending on the vegetable and the surface area exposure. Boiling is more impactful than steaming. Wet cooking offers the double benefit of enhancing mineral availability. So all you raw food fans, cooking enhances mineral mineral availability. 
an oxalate-containing foods. Heads up. So just like cooking tomatoes, like in a tomato sauce, right, makes lycopene, which is a very beneficial carotenoid, more available for absorption than eating them raw. See, it's not all about the raw food. Okay. So wet cooking offers double, offers the double benefit of enhancing mineral availability. Since oxalates tend to bind minerals, another way to offset the effects of oxalates is to pair oxalate-rich vegetables with calcium-rich foods. So there was a large prospective study involving three different cohorts. It was the Health Professionals Follow-Up Study with 45,985 men, the Nurses' Health Study 1 with 92,872 older women, and the Nurses' Health Study 2 with 101,824 younger women. These three cohorts, this study points to the importance of getting adequate calcium in the diet to buffer against the effects of oxalates. But this study also showed there was no difference in dietary oxalate between kidney stone formers and non-stone formers, which suggests that there could be other factors aside from oxalate exposure underlying the formation of kidney stones or nephrolithiasis. Researchers at Boston University hypothesized that the differential response to oxalates in foods might be due not only to oxalate content, the method of cooking and preparation, or the mineral intake, but also to the presence of, as I mentioned, oxalobacter formagenes in the gut. This microorganism present in 38 to 77% of the normal adult population degrades oxalate. Testing for O formagenes and supplementation with a probiotic that helps in the proliferation of this bacterium may be a potential therapy to help people who are prone to stone formation. Okay, important stuff about oxalates right there. Let's move on to phytates. Now, you've heard me talk about people, if they have anemia or they're low in iron, their ferritin levels are low, I tell them to eat more heme iron foods. That is animal protein, flesh, meat, dark meat, poultry, things like that. Because the iron in our plant foods, like spinach, like peas, like lentils, contain a lot of phytate, also known as phytic acid. These bind minerals like iron, and it doesn't allow the body to absorb it. So if you're low in iron, don't look to spinach and lentils and peas to get your iron. You're not going to absorb much there. So phytates also known as phytic acid, 
or myo-inositol hexaphosphate, IP6, is a storage form of phosphate and inositol found in whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds. Phytate is known to bind to divalent cations like iron, calcium, and zinc, preventing their intestinal absorption. When evaluating the potential impact of phytate on mineral absorption, it is important to consider the food matrix, particularly the fact that the phytate coexists in with dietary fiber in plant foods. The fiber can be fermented, which will alter the pH, and which can ultimately enhance the absorption of minerals. Again, fermentation is just fantastic. Eat that sauerkraut. Vitamin C may have a similar effect in that it may be able to override the inhibitory effects of phytate on iron absorption because vitamin C enhances the absorption of iron from our food. Furthermore, some researchers have suggested the concept of phytate adaptation. It refers to the adaptive ability of the intestinal microbiota to degrade phytates when presented with a consistent high phytate diet. As with lectins and oxalates, food preparation methods have impact on phytate content. Soaking, fermenting, and germination, sprouting, can all help to reduce phytates in foods such as legumes and grains. Now, similar to lectins, there may also be beneficial effects of phytates. As Pujol et al. point out in their very recent review article, phytate is the major phosphorus reservoir in nearly all whole grains, legumes, and oil seeds. These food groups represent a major part of the most well-studied healthful dietary pattern, the Mediterranean diet. Pujol and colleagues stress that the anti-nutrient effect of phytate in causing mineral deficiencies has not been reported in humans. Rather, based on its antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer, hypoglycemic, bone-protective, neuroprotective, and other helpful properties, phytate might have potential as a nutraceutical ingredient. So, lectins, oxalates, and phytates are three of the most frequently discussed antinutrients, but there are others, including glucosinolates, which are goitrogens, polyphenolic phytoestrogens, and tannins. Based on our research, Deanna Minich compiled a colorful, easy-to-follow, two-page guide describing the most important anti-nutrient categories 
the foods which contain them, their potential health risks and benefits, and the ways to reduce there if they're problematic. So let me go through the groups. Lectins, a diverse family of carbohydrate binding proteins found in almost all organisms, including plants, animals, and microorganisms. Lectins most commonly are contained in legumes, cereal grains, seeds, nuts, as well as some fruits and vegetables. Oxalate, which is an organic acid, which binds with minerals like sodium, potassium, calcium, iron, and magnesium. What are some high oxalate foods? They are spinach, Swiss chard, sorrel, beet greens, beetroot, rhubarb, nuts, legumes, and cereal grains, sweet potatoes, and potatoes. Interesting. Legumes and grains show up in a lot of these. Phytates, which is a phosphate complex, compounds that are used in plants as a storage form of phosphorus and as an antioxidant and energy source. Phytates are contained in legumes, cereal grains, amaranth, quinoa, millet. Those three are three gluten-free grains, amaranth, quinoa, and millet. Nuts and seeds. Now let's talk about phytoestrogens. These polyphenolic compounds that modulate estrogen, which includes isoflavones, lignans, stilbene, and cumesterol, are in soy and soy products, they're in flax seeds, they're in nuts, and they're in many fruits and vegetables. But they're mostly concentrated in a lot of soy and soy products. Goitrogens, which are glucosinolates, they are agents that interfere with thyroid function, which may increase the risk of goiter. Brassica vegetables like kale, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, turnip greens, Chinese cabbage, broccoli, millet, and cassava, right? as well as soy. Soy is the biggest goitrogens followed by millet. But if you eat the vegetables, these brassica vegetables cooked, you know, you want to cook your Brussels sprouts, you want to cook your kale. You don't want kale in a smoothie every day of your life. It may become goitrogenic. Doubly so if you already have a thyroid condition. And tannins. Tannins are polyphenols. They are a broad class of larger size polyphenols responsible for the astringent taste of fruits and vegetables. They're in tea, they're in cocoa, in grapes, berries, apples, stone fruits, nuts, beans, and whole grains. So the six major categories of potential anti-nutrients found in plant foods. These are naturally occurring compounds that may block the absorption or activity of vitamins and minerals. And whether these compounds are problematic for human health is open to debate and is likely influenced by a wide range 
of individual variables. So, Dr. Deanna Minnick, again, there's a wonderful article she wrote in Nutrients, the journal Nutrients, in the year 2020, titled, Is There Such a Thing as Anti-Nutrients? A Narrative Review of Perceived Problematic Plant Compounds. So, it's a complex question. The topic of anti-nutrients teaches us about complexity of foods, of our bodies, and of the interactions between them. Deanna does not claim to have the absolute answer on anti-nutrients and whether or not large numbers of people need to be halting intake of tomatoes or of tea or of spinach due to the presence of lectins, tannins, or oxalates. Dr. Minich says, what I do think we know is that personalization is of utmost importance. There could be something about a food that simply doesn't sit right with someone's physiology in a moment in time. It may span the spectrum of quantity, timing, preparation, or even combinations of foods put together. It does not necessarily mean that this particular food is always bad or bad for everyone. Therefore, it's good to continue to expand our knowledge base, yet keep what we think we know in check. If we adhere to the well-researched principle of dietary diversity, ensuring that we get a rotation of different types of foods for the benefit of many body systems, we may be able to free ourselves from the tendency to become overly focused on the trees of trying to omit particular plant compounds and rediscover the forest of a diverse, plant-rich, healthful diet. Dr. Deanna Minich, thank you so much for this wonderful excerpt in Holistic Primary Care. I want to thank you for joining me on another edition of Layla Ways In. This is Intelligent Medicine. This is Layla Mutin, RD. I see patients regularly along with Dr. Hoffman. If you require a nutrition consult with me but live out of town, there's no need to travel to New York City. I have telephone consultations with clients from all over the country. Please visit drhoffman.com for more information. And to set up an appointment, call 212 212- Seven seven nine one seven four four. That's two one two seven seven nine one seven four four. I look forward to being a collaborator in your healthcare.